Have you ever wondered, dear church, how many verses in the Bible are devoted to good, sound, Christian, victorious, overcoming, triumphant thinking? Life is essentially what you make it out to be and how you frame your attitude and the thoughts of your mind. Let me read some verses out of the Bible for you. What about 2 Timothy 1.7? Say it with me if you know the words. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Think of that verse. How many millions of Americans today are medicated? How many of them are on depression? antidepressant drugs. How many of them are taking some medication to influence their mind? Think of what the Bible tells you about your mind, your thinking, and your uh, method of living your life. In Philippians chapter 4, the Bible says, in the words of the Holy Spirit, rejoice and again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be made known unto all men. Christ is at hand. Be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, my brethren, help me. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things, whatsoever things are what now? True. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. That is instructing us on how to live our lives as a overcoming, victorious, triumphant Christian. Has all... It can mean so much to you if you can live in the positive assurance of what God wants you to be in your mental understanding. Think of what else God has said. Think of what the Bible has said in Romans 8. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation, famine, nakedness, peril or sword. Nay, in all these things we are more than what? Conquerors through him that loved us. How much of your Bible is devoted to teaching us how to think? How to think? How to operate our mind? Some of the most beautiful words I think are in the, that are in the Bible are found in the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
beginning in verse 8. The most prolific apostle in the New Testament. The battle-scarred apostle Paul wrote these words. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. The Holy Spirit directed St. Paul to write those words in 2 Corinthians. And on the very final day or week of Paul's life, he was still speaking positive assurance to the people of his generation. So I think that it's very important that we all enter into the, the life that God has given us with a positive assurance of good, sound mental health and thinking. How many of you have ever read a book called The Bondage Breaker? The Bondage Breaker. We've carried this book for years and years, and a lot of people have read it. It's written by Neil Anderson. It's a marvelous book, and he has delivered lots and lots of people from a sorry, miserable state of mental health. The numbers of people today in America that are suffering from poor mental health is enormous. So I want this congregation assembled here today to know that no one should ever be taking a prescription drug to do something for your mind. That is an absolute no-no. There should be no medication for mental health by anyone in this congregation. So one of the first steps in living a victorious, overcoming Christian life is to know and be familiar with what God has said in his word. So I trust that you will understand it is not the will of God for anyone. No Christian should be living in a prison of self-imposed incarceration. Now, what is a self-imposed state of incarceration? Where your mind has placed you in a prison. You are trapped into a prison of your own thinking acting, and choice by failure to exercise God-fearing, Bible-living principles that can deliver you. So how can we know if we are a prisoner of wrong thinking? How can we know if we are in pursuit of wrong mental understanding that can trap us in a prison within our own minds? Well, let me give you some clues as to how you might be guarding against certain attitudes that have come into your mind. And if they found a resting place, that's not good because it's a sign that you are suffering from some bad mental conditions. If, for example, 
you are not feeling good about your status as a Christian. If you are feeling like you are losing your zeal, you have no ambition, you have no contact and love for those around you, you become self-centered. You become the center of the, the universe you live in. The only people that matter around you, those that, they don't matter much at all. The only person you're worried about is yourself. So we need to concentrate on how to live in good, sound mental health. We live in a day and time, uh, dear people, when the world around us is filled with all kinds of propaganda, critical thinking, a woke culture, and lies without end. So how do we establish God-fearing, Bible-anchored mental health in the midst of such chaos? That is the question. As a Bible-believing, spirit-filled believer, we must not allow ourselves to fit into the way that most Americans are now thinking. America is becoming a very, very sick nation, filled with millions of people who have lost their ability to think rationally, to know how to establish right patterns of thinking in a world filled with such lies and propaganda as we now have in this country. Now we are just coming out of a pandemic. For the last three years, America has suffered enormous psychological and economic problems, spiritual problems, moral problems, every conceivable kind of problems. We've seen lockdowns economic losses from the lockdown. We've, said, we've witnessed man-made viruses, plagues that have killed millions of people, still killing people. The number of stillbirth children in this country, the number of miscarriages has skyrocketed since the vaccine. It's, it's amazing how much suffering there is as a result of the last three years of life in this country. It's little wonder that millions of Americans are suffering from various stages of anxiety, depression, and delusional thinking, because we have been living in three years of the most chaotic, unsettled, unreasonable time in the history of this country. So as God-fearing, Bible-believing, blood war, spirit-filled Christians, we really need to be anchored in the scriptures of the living God. I'd like to think of the idea this morning of how much the Bible is devoted to, to building a strong mental 
way of thinking and way of acting and living. The God, how does God want us to live? How does God expect us to be victorious overcoming soldiers if we are locked up in some kind of a mental prison that we've built through wrong thinking? So I want you to go uh, to come with me this morning on a little journey and let's, let's look into the Bible and let's, let's try to figure out, if we can, how it is that so many millions of Americans are on antidepressant drugs. How many millions of Americans today are under demonic influence? How many even understand the, medical phys the metaphysical world of demons and evil spirits and the power that Satan holds over so many minds in America today? How much did Jesus spend on trying to deliver people from mental problems in his ministry? How many times did Jesus deliver people from demonic influence, demonic possession, or from all kinds of mental conditions that ought not to be? The Bible is replete in the New Testament. Every gospel gives an account of all the people that Jesus was delivering in his time, in the, in the ministry of deliverance. And while it's not a favorite place, so far as I'm concerned, to visit scripturally, I think we would be, we would be very deficient if we did not mention the urgent necessity for every God-fearing, Bible-believing Christian to check the soundness of your thinking and how the state of your happiness is. How much peace do you have? You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. That's, a, that's an inward condition. Love and joy and peace. God, in every condition, wants us to feel, be filled with love and joy and peace. That's not something that you just experience once in a while. It ought to be a habitual way of life to have love and joy and peace in your life. Three other fruits of the Spirit is long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness toward the people around you. So how do you relate to the people around you? How do they relate to you? How do you get along with other people? These are ways that you can test your state of mental soundness and health. Do you exhibit long-suffering, gentleness, goodness to your family members, to the neighbors, to the people that work with you? How do you relate to other people? This is the way you measure who you are. You're only traveling through this world one time. So let's do it right. Let's do it right. Three other fruits of the Spirit is faith, meekness, and temperance. So think of it this way, church. Love, joy, and peace is a personal thing within. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness is how you treat those around you. 
Faith, meekness, and temperance is how you relate to God. Are you a faith believer? Do you practice temperance? Temperance is self-control. Are you dependent on antidepressants? Are you dependent on prescription drugs to control the way you think? No, what about prayer? What about the Bible? What about your relationship personally to Jesus Christ our Savior? All those are important things for us to, to consider. And I'd like for you to think a moment now about how, how it is that so many Americans now suffer from mental illness. If you're listening, if you're listening to the news, we have had almost 160 mass shootings in this country in the last seven or eight months. That's incredible. We have been having from one to three mass shootings in America in recent, in recent weeks. It, I mean, the number of people that have died from crazy people is unbelievable. And today we're a country that is ingesting, bringing in here criminals, hardened criminals from all over the world. Nations all over the world are emptying their prisons in this country. This country is in trouble. And we're gonna to have to be strong and we're gonna to have to be strong in our mental state to weather the impending storm that's coming to this country because America is a nation under judgment. We are being judged in America today harshly. We are in the woodshed, God's woodshed, and God is not happy with America. And, and we're, as remnant Christians, God doesn't immunize us from feeling some of the pain, I will assure you. So we need to be strong, we need to be stable, we need to be steadfast, and we need to resist the lies, we need to resist the propaganda, we need to resist the woke culture, critical thinking, and all the different propaganda that's coming against us. So we've reached a point now where I think the television set does not belong in a home. A television set simply does not belong in any home where there's children. The material coming out on a television set today is absolutely abhorrent. It is beyond words to even describe the content of a television uh, station in America today. What they are allowing to be displayed on the screen of a television set would make the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah be embarrassed. We must, as Christians, guard our palaces. We must guard our castles from the insidious propaganda that is coming from the national media of this country. You cannot listen to a, a single newscaster on the national media that is not lying from the beginning. The minute they open their mouth, they're lying. 
They do not know what the truth is. They cannot tell the truth. So we need to be really on, really on guard. Now, I want you to think about something, church. And I know that uh, some of you probably think this is somewhat redundant. But I think there's a, a noble purpose to be gained in asking ourselves, how do people become trapped in self-imposed prisons? How do they develop a wrong pattern of thinking that ends up building a stronghold in their life where they are trapped in a prison, truly trapped in their own prison? They're mental, they are mentally confined within their own personal minds. I want to show you how that happens, and I want to take you back in time. Before I do that, I want to remind you of what Jesus said in John 8, 44. One day Jesus said, among other things in John 8, 44, he said that ye are of your father the devil, the lust of your father ye will do, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because he is a liar and the father of it. So who is the father of lies? It is Satan. How many Americans today do not even believe there is an evil Luciferian force called Satan in the world? What could be greater deception than to believe that he doesn't exist. And that's where millions of people are. Sad that we live in a country where many, many Christians deny the reality of the spirit world, the metaphysical spirit world where Satan and all of his demons are. So let's look. Let's look at something. The Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies. What else does the Bible tell us? Well, the Bible tells us also, if we go back to 1 John, if we go back to the scriptures of 1 John, we will find that in John's epistle, first epistle, he, sa he says that Satan <clears throat> sinned from the beginning, that he sinned from the beginning that he introduced sin into the world. So let's, let's see how that happened. Go with me to Genesis 3, verse 1. Open your Bibles. You've, you you memorized Genesis 3, 1, so I'm not going to read it. Now, in the Garden of Eden, when we open our Bibles to Genesis 3, verse 1, how many agree that when, when the serpent begins to talk to the woman, the woman has never entertained a lie. Her, her world has never witnessed a lie. She has a sound mind. The mind of the woman Eve is pure. It is undefiled. Her husband Adam has never told her a lie. God has never lied to her. So Eve has never heard a lie. She doesn't know what a lie is. She has lived with a mind totally biased to God. 
She only knows good. Evil has never been known to this woman. So how did Eve get locked up in a trap just like so many millions of people are locked up in a trap today of various kinds? Well, let's look. Now, the serpent came in Genesis 3.1 and he asked the woman a question. What question did he ask her? Yea, hath God said, ye shall not surely eat of every tree in the garden. Now the woman knew exactly what God had said. Now God did not give the command not to eat of that tree directly to Eve, but how does she know what God had told her husband? Because Adam had communicated with his wife. Now how do we know that the woman knew how do we know that Eve knew what God has said about eating of the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We know that by her answer to the serpent. So the serpent asked the question. Now this is the beginning of what is called critical thinking. How many have heard the, the phrase critical thinking? Critical thinking is a term that's being splashed out all over America today, critical thinking. It is the foundation of communist Marxist thinking to take what God has said and critically analyze that and question it. God spoke a positive word to Adam. He told him this of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou mayest not eat of it. In the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. So Adam had assurance of knowing the penalty for eating of that tree. He communicated that to the woman, and we'll prove it by turning to Genesis 3, and we'll see what the, what the woman, how the woman answered the serpent. <clears throat> I'm reading now from Genesis 3, verse 2 and 3. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. She's right on point. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The woman was clearly mindful of the penalty of eating from this tree. How many Bible-believing Christians know what Scripture says, but somehow they forget what the Bible says, what God has said, and they're lured into the trap of wrong patterns of thinking. Patterns of thinking that lead them into a prison of their own mind. It's called a stronghold. A stronghold is a wrong mental state of belief. And so the woman emphatically underscores what God has told him. We may not eat of this forbidden tree. 
She knows that. Now, what happens in verse 4, church? The serpent says in response to the woman, Well, ye shall, ye shall not surely die. Now think about it. God said you will die. The serpent said ye will not surely die. Now, at this juncture, think of critical thinking. Here is God speaking truth. God is pure reality. God is speaking an unchanging, unvarnished truth. You will die if you eat from this tree. Satan tells the woman, well, you surely won't die. You surely won't die. Our founding fathers gave us a great constitution. A great constitution. It was designed to perpetuate a white-only Christian nation. This nation was founded upon a constitution that was only designed for white people. It was only designed for white voters. The preamble to the Constitution was written by the founders of this country, addressed to, for ourselves and our posterity. It was not for the hordes coming in, pouring into this country. It's not, was not designed for the millions of non-white people now crowding the landscape of America. The Constitution was a wonderful document. Every amendment after number 10 has not been a healthy amendment to the Constitution. The Founding Fathers were barely in their graves before we started changing the nature of the Constitution. So we should never blame the Founding Fathers for the mess we're in. And I hear people say all the time, well, they should have written a better Constitution. They gave us a model Constitution. It is the single greatest Constitution that any nation on earth today knows. And it is almost hanging by a fiber there's hardly anything left of the Constitution our fathers gave us. So how did America, by the lie of Satan, how did we impose ourselves in a national stronghold of lies, propaganda? The same thing that happened to the woman Eve and her husband in the Garden of Eden has happened to America on a national scale. So the serpent says, ye shall not surely die. Well, the founding fathers surely didn't, surely didn't intend for this to be an exclusively white nation. And to that we say, yes, they did. They intended for America to be free and white and Christian forever. Excuse me, I'm suffering from 
some form of spring allergies. So the serpent is selling the woman on a lie. So how do people build a self-imposed prison? They build it on lies. Now the lies that build a prison can come from Satan, his minions, or they can come from our own carnal nature. We can tell ourselves, I don't think God was fair to me. I don't think God created me with a lot of intelligence. I don't think that I have the talent and the gifts to do what this guy over here does. So we become filled with envy, jealousy. How does that happen? It happens because of wrong thinking, where we allow the lies and imaginations of our own carnal passions to become rooted in our thinking. So we tell ourselves that we are inferior, that we are not intelligent like a lot of other people. We tell ourselves that they had benefits that we didn't, and so they had privileges that allowed them to do things that we, we can't do. How many of you know that God created you, ordained you, and God says, with my help you can do anything? God wants you to be a positive, uplifting, overcoming, victorious Christian. That's what God wants from you. He wants that from me. He wants that for, for every one of his children. So the woman, up to this point, up to verse 2 and 3 and 4, has withstood the lies of the serpent. But after verse number four, something happens. I want you to think about it now. Eve is all alone in the Garden of Eden. How many times will you be alone and you're gonna be forced to think right? Because you're gonna be tempted and tested. Idleness is the devil's workshop. So be careful. When you're alone is the greatest potential for the temptation to come from the metaphysical world of Satan and his demons. Now up to this point in time, the woman had never questioned God's authority. Eve had never questioned whether the authority of God might not be right. She assumed that everything God did was perfect, just like you and I ought to believe. She never questioned anything about what God said or what God do. Her husband, Adam, had never planted a wrong thought in her mind. So Eve is there as a pristine Christian lady with a sound mind. But before this scene ends, she's gonna build a stronghold from which she will be forever crippled. And so the woman 
finally buys into the lie. And Satan seals the deal. What a salesman. He says, ye shall not surely die. And then he comes along and puts icing on the lie. In verse 5 he says, For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you will be as gods. Ye shall be as gods. You and your husband will be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, God did not want the woman to know evil. He did not want Adam to be privy to evil. They only knew the good. But now, Satan is promising them this. Can you be sure that you will surely die? For if you eat of this forbidden tree, there is something about that tree that will open your eyes, that will give you a state of, bring you to a state of consciousness so you will know what evil is. Adam and Eve did not live with the consciousness of anything that was evil. But now the serpent says, if you will eat of the tree that God forbids, it will give you superior knowledge. Oh, really? Now, hold on to that idea. And remember some verses I read here a few weeks ago. I want you to think closely. I want to thank you for following me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every thought that is exalted above the knowledge of God. This is exactly what's happening in the Garden of Eden. Lucifer, the serpent, is teaching woman, the woman here, to exalt his knowledge above the knowledge of God. God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent said, if you'll partake of this tree, you'll have the knowledge of not only good, but you will know evil. You'll be privy to knowledge that God forbid you to know. Now, I'm going to suggest something here to parents today that modern psychology disagrees with. I believe parents should protect their children from things that they ought not to be exposed to. Children should have the joy of living and growing up in a state of innocence. I lived in a world, and I was in high school before I ever heard the word homosexual. At the time I was 12 years old, it was improper to use the word sex. I seldom use the word in, in preaching because I don't feel good about it. 
It's just simply because of the world that I grew up in. Children grew up in innocence. And that's a wonderful thing. Because little boys and little girls play together, oblivious about their gender until they reach a certain age. And then God marvelously prepares for them the differences between male and female. That's the world that God intends for children to grow up in. Children know far too much too early in our generation. And that leads to curiosity. Curiosity leads to experimentation. And experimentation leads to bad things. Bad things. So, back to the Garden of Eden. Now, the woman has a choice to make. Satan has enticed her by saying, well, I'm not sure you're going to die. Surely you won't die. And I'm going to say that if you eat of this tree that God has forbidden, you are going to be introduced to a new path of knowledge, a new route to knowing, to understanding, is going to be laid before your eyes. So you're going to be smarter. You're going to be brighter. Now, what does America say today? In our public school system, we say that we don't need God. We threw God out of the public school in 1962. We rejected the Bible in the public schools in 1963. We denied the Ten Commandments to be demonstrated or displayed in the public square in 1980. These were all Supreme Court decisions. The Supreme Court justices would tell people in that time frame that the general population were pushing them to this decision. And most of the justices on the Supreme Court have testified that they're only catching up with where the people have already gone in their decisions. When the United States Supreme Court practiced upholding a segregated nation, remember America was a segregated nation. A preacher could go to prison for solemnizing a marriage between a black and a white. $1,000 fine and six months in jail was a penalty for a preacher in Missouri who would solemnize a marriage between a black and a white. Supreme Court 1967 in Loving versus Virginia handed down a ruling that said it was unconstitutional to prevent white and black from marriage. So they opened the floodgates to interracial marriage. When the Supreme Court was pressed on why they made that decision, they said, look, what's already happened? Billy Graham's already integrated his crusades. Late 1940s, 
Billy Graham would not hold a crusade in Atlanta, Georgia, unless they opened the doors to the blacks. Harry Truman in 1948 integrated the United States military, which up to that time had been rigidly segregated. In 1954, in Supreme Court decision Brown versus Board of Education, America integrated the schools and it required an army of 10,000 armed soldiers to integrate the first high school in America. That's how much opposition there was. Yet the Supreme Court came along and said, look, we're already integrating the Crusades, the Billy Graham Crusades. We've already integrated the military. The Pentecostal world has already introduced uh, the blacks to their congregation way, way back in early 1900s. And so the road to interracial mixing and marriage happened in America just like it happened that we destroyed our Constitution. We allowed a satanic stronghold to capture the minds of a nation with the lies of Satan and his minions. So the woman now is faced with the reality of what she's going to do. Will she uphold the authority of God and Scripture? Will she uphold God's Word? Or will she believe the lie and want to know a new path to knowledge? Now this is an epistemological battle. Epistemology, the search for true knowledge, is the foundation upon which we either live and build and grow and survive or we fall. God speaks truth. Satan speaks a lie. The world speaks a lie. And the lies come out of the deceitful hearts of our own carnal passion. We must believe the Bible, church. Trust only the Bible. Trust God's Word. God is the ultimate authority. No one else. God defines reality. God defines knowledge. God defines meaning. So now we have eliminated knowledge, God's knowledge, from the public schools. So what do we have in America today? We have young people that are killing each other. Mass killings. Most of them have never read the Ten Commandments. Most of them have no knowledge of the moral fabric of Scripture. What, do we, what, what in the world do we expect? We are reaping what we have been sowing for several generations. And we can only expect it to grow worse. And I will tell this congregation, you're entering a time when it is not altogether safe to take your children into a shopping mall or into an urban setting of any kind. It is becoming very dangerous in this country for children. So we need to consider that and then we need to come back and ask ourselves, why in the world did a wonderful 
mentally sound woman of great stature believed the lie of the serpent? And to that, to that question, you can look around today and ask yourself, why? Why do so millions of, why do so millions and millions of Americans deny the truth of God in preference for the lie? So we're living in a very precious, significant moment of time because God has called us to be the children of light. Now, I would like to uh, end this lesson today by taking you into how we tear down a mental stronghold. We know that the lies and the imaginations that come from Satan and his minions or from our own carnal passions and thinking or from the world itself go up with the walls of wrong thinking. Those lies that are exaggerated become a tower. And from that tower, we are ruled by demonic influence. And then the thoughts of our mind become our captive police. We think thoughts that are wrong and we become captive to those thoughts. So the Bible teaches us how to bring down a stronghold. So how does that happen? Well, it happens if we go back to 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, all the lies, and every thought that has been exaggerated against or lifted up high above the knowledge of God, and then taking every thought of our mind that is wrong and making it subject to the obedience of Jesus Christ and the Holy Scriptures. So tearing down a stronghold means that you first of all have allowed wrong thinking to set up a stronghold in your mind. That is the beginning of that problem. I'd like to show you something in the Bible, if you'd be so kind to turn to Isaiah 42, verse seven. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 42, verse seven, that Jesus, the servant of the living God, came to open the eyes of the blind. I'm in Isaiah 42, 7. To open the eyes of the blind to bring out the prisoners from the prison. Who are the prisoners in the prison? They are people trapped in a prison of their own mind. And them that sit in the darkness out of the prison house. Who are the people locked up in a stronghold? People who are lost in bitterness, unforgiveness. People who are lost, chains wrapped around them, who cannot function because of wrong attitudes and wrong mindsets. Go to Isaiah 61. 
in Isaiah 61, verse 1. This is a chapter of prophecy 700 years before the birth of Jesus. 700 years before Jesus came on the scene of history, Isaiah prophesied of the ministry that Jesus would perform. Read with me in Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive. Stop. To, pro to proclaim liberty to who? The captives. Now the captives can be people who are locked up in a stronghold of their own mind. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison. The prison here can be the mind of wrong thinking. The opening of the prison to them that are bound. Bound by unforgiveness. By, bound because they have an unwillingness to admit they are ever wrong. They simply cannot humble themselves and say, I was wrong. I am sorry. Three of the greatest words in the world is, I am sorry. I am sorry. If you can say those three words and really mean it, you're on your way. Now notice verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Now Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 is the complete prophetic word of what Jesus would do in his first ministry with the exception of one thing. It might be possibly two things. So let's find out what that means by turning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 4. In Luke's Gospel, chapter number 4, Jesus has been tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. He has been tempted by the tempter. He comes from that experience to his hometown in Nazareth, in Luke 4, verse 16, he came to Nazareth. He entered a synagogue, which was his custom. Every Sabbath, Jesus was in a convocation. There was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Looking at Luke 4, 18, it's the exact words I just read from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Deliverance to the captives. Who are the captives? Well, they were not only the captives being held in Sheol that Jesus delivered out of Sheol and took with him to paradise as in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he's talking about the captives, the prisoners who are being held captive in the prison of their own mind. To set, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty the, 
them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So what, what part of Isaiah 61 did Jesus not fulfill? The day of his vengeance. He did not execute the wicked. He did not rid the world of the left side of Genesis 3.15 and all their proselytes. Why? There's a gap between the last phrase of Isaiah 61.2 that's been, that's a gap in that prophecy that's going to be fulfilled when Christ returns as King of kings and Lord of lords with the sword of his vengeance. He will, and you know what the Bible says in Revelation 14? Blood will run to the horse's bridles. That's the day of vengeance. That's the wrath of the Lamb that's coming upon the wickedness of this earth. So, in bringing this lesson to closure today, church, I encourage everyone in this congregation to prayerfully, carefully examine the state of your mental condition and to ask yourself, do I truly have love, joy, and peace in my life? How much love and joy and peace do you have through every day? How much long-suffering gentleness and goodness do you practice to those around you? These are the marks of good, sound mental health. This is how you know that you're walking with Christ. How much faith meekness, and temperance, or self-control do we practice toward God? That's the way we measure our Christian walk, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I encourage all of us to give due regard to our walk through this world. Now, this past week, it was my pleasure to mail the bondage breaker to several families who are fighting tremendous battles of mental illness in their family. And it ought not to be in this congregation or among Israelites anywhere. Ought not to be. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind shall we be standing.